It's me again. Uh, just so you know, Pastor Chris is doing well after his surgery. He'll actually be back here next Sunday. Um, so we're looking forward to his return. Amen. So like I said, in your in your journey guide, there's a spot for you to take notes. Uh, it wasn't necessary in last week on Saturday. This week, you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Scotty did a great job. Uh, but, you know, last week we talked about, uh, you know, we're talking about our what it is we do, why we do what we do, and that sort of thing. Today we're kind of focusing on ministry, but uh, I just want to shout out to Chad and the worship team because that song, that third song they did, uh, I asked them to learn that, I think, on that Monday. Um, because uh, uh, it kind of ties in with what we're talking about today. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, if you follow along, so it's a... Uh, Second book in the New Testament. This is uh, one of the four Gospels. Uh, and so, just a little background uh, to, to lead us up to where we're going to pick up. In the first chapter of Mark, we see Jesus' ministry has just begun. Um, after being baptized by John, he spends 40 days out in the wilderness being tempted. And, um, then Jesus enters Capernaum. Uh, I talked to a guy here recently who lived in Israel, and he was like, yeah, it's Capernaum. I'm like, well, every teacher I've ever heard said Capernaum, so sorry to everybody in Israel, I'm going to say Capernaum, because I'll never be able to get that out of my brain. But, uh, anyway, Jesus entered Capernaum, uh, where he uh, he called Peter, Andrew, uh, and James, and John. And so we see later in that chapter, he, he casts out some demons, uh, he heals some sick people, including Peter's mother-in-law which Peter never forgave him. Uh, he left... He left Capernaum uh, for a quick tour around Galilee. And while he's in Galilee, he heals a leper. Uh, he starts drawing such a crowd that he has to sort of sneak out of town. And he He crept back into uh, Capernaum, and that's where we're going to pick up. Let's pray, and then we'll dig, dig into it. Well, we thank you this morning for giving us another opportunity to study your word. We thank you for preserving it for us. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would prepare our hearts, uh, make us ready to receive your word. Lord, we, we hear so much noise, so many voices during the week. But Lord, during this time, we want to hear your voice. Lord, let us leave here closer to you, knowing you better than we do. What we get correct, Lord, help us to apply it and be changed by it. What we get wrong, wipe it from our minds and just replace it with a deal to come back and get it right. Alright, so Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. So this is most likely Peter's house. Right? Because uh, this is a, you know, he healed Peter's mother-in-law in this house. Um, Jesus himself says, you know, the, the son of man does not have a place to lay his head. He doesn't have a house. So he's in Peter's house. And it says it was heard that he was in the house. What do people hear about your house? 
Like the noise that comes from your house, would people say, Jesus is in that house? Or would they say, there are crazy people in that house? My house, they'd be like, there are apparently 7,000 dogs and a bunch of crazy people in that house. Right? Or a noisy house. But what would, what do people say about your house? Now, I don't, we don't care so much what people say, but it's something to, to think about. Like what characterizes my house? I'll tell you this. If you want to alter your family, you need to have a family altar. You need to bring your family to the altar. There needs to be a time where you guys sit down together and you talk about things of God. Now, my family, we have periods where we did great at this, periods where I really dropped the ball and we didn't do it. Uh, lately, we've been doing better at it. So we try to take some time. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to be two hours in Bible study every day of the week or anything. Maybe once or twice a week, whatever it is, you guys all sit down and talk about it. Depending on how your family works, maybe you guys sing a song together. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you're reading a, a devotional. Maybe you're reading out of straight out of the Bible, and what do you think that means? Do you want to alter your family? Bring your family to the altar. So anyway, word gets out. They hear that Jesus is in that house. And in verse 2, it says, Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. What is Jesus here? And he preached the word to them. Jesus, he heals people, he feeds people, but the greatest need, right, when crowds gather around Jesus, the thing he does every time is he teaches the word. That's the greatest need. Now, Mark uses a, a specific word here, laleo, it's, uh, to speak with a lovely sound. It's a different word than what is often used to preach, but to, to loudly proclaim. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's speaking in a conversational tone that is pleasant. Depending. Now, some of you may remember this song. I know there's been around here, but it's an old hymn of In the Garden. And I'm reminded of the lyrics of that. It says, He, he speaks in the sound of his voice. It's so sweet that the birds stop their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is now that's God's word. When Jesus speaks his word, it, it resounds in our spirit because there's a spot in our very being that was just carved out for his word. And it's important, I think, for us to not just preach at people, right? To just loudly proclaim things. When Jesus drew a crowd, he didn't speak louder. But he spoke in a conversational tone. So people leaned in. And it's important that uh, that we're able to just have a dialogue and discuss things without just shouting people down. Because there's enough ugly noise in the world. Uh, we don't need to add to it. So anyway, Jesus, he, the crowd is gathered, and he, he sits down, and people lean in. Did you know that's how most often he, he taught? That's how teachers taught in, in the New 
Testament, and they sat, everyone else stood. So let's all do that. I'll, I'll stop the slide. Verse 3 says, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, and they could not come near him because of the crowd, there's such a crowd that they can't even get near the house. Now, I have one thing in common, for sure, with these four guys, is that I hate crowds. I hate being closed in and feeling confined. I had a friend years ago that was in Caden, and he talked to me about trying to, you know, wanting me to go with him. I was I, much smaller then. I looked like an eighth man I used to be. But, um, but still, even then, he talked about this one cave that they wanted to go in. There's a spot where he's all excited. He said, there's a spot where you've got to blow all the air out of your lungs so you can squeeze through it. I'm like, no thank you. No thank you. You can tell me about it when you get back. But I am not signing up for that trip. So I'm not crazy about crowds. I'm too impatient for lines. Which incidentally, you know that statistically you have at best a one in three chance of picking the faster line. And if you change one, the odds actually go down almost exponentially. Like you definitely chose the wrong line the second time. That's how my brain works, is I actually looked up the math on this, right? You have about an 8% chance of choosing the correct line the second time. I, yeah, the odds are never in my favor. I always choose the wrong line. But anyway, these guys, they, they're bringing their friend who is paralyzed, who has this affliction, and they're bringing him to Jesus, and they are like, the crowd will not allow us to even get near him. So... When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. They uncovered the roof where he was. Now, in the ancient Middle East, <coughs> the homes were made of, they were more, more almost like the adobes that we have here in the, in the southwest of the United States. They would like clay, there would be some wood beams, and, uh, you know, thatch and stuff like that. But, you know, these were not wooden structures, they didn't have single roofs, they had flat roofs, and this is often times where you would entertain, it was kind of like a patio, right? you would go up there, you'd have a little shade built up there so that in, you could lounge up there in the cool of the day, what they call it, but you know, this is where you'd have, you know, if your family came over, this is where you'd gather, it's like your family room, the patio, um, and so you would very often, because of that, you would have a stairway on the outside of your home that led directly to the roof. So these guys are like, okay, we can't get in the door. They carry them up the stairs to the roof, and they start digging down. Now these four guys, when they got their friend to bring them in, I'm sure they didn't anticipate that they were going to have to dig through the roof. So they didn't really know even what would happen. They just know, look, I don't know exactly how it works, but we've got to get you to Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to all play out, but we've got to get you to Jesus. Because, you know, it, there's an important concept there. It takes a team to bring people to Jesus. 
Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying anyone's salvation is dependent on you, right? But it's, it, God tells us in His Word that you know one plants the seed, another one uh, waters it. You know, someone else may come along and, and, and tell them some things that helps them get a little bit closer. But it's God who, who brings about the growth. But there are many people along the way. And probably you can think back to multiple people in your life who have told you something about Jesus that has built up to you being here. Now, now if you've ever been here when I preached before, you know that there's a particular thing I do at the end of each sermon. I ready and And I get asked about that sometimes. The reason I do that, I view I used to church football, and I view this as I view church when we gather together like this. I view this as like a team huddle. Okay? This is where we gather together, and we, we talk about the plays, right? We, maybe we practice a little bit, but we we gather together, we talk about what the play is, we break the huddle, and then we go out, and over the next six days and twenty-two and a half hours, we're going to go execute what we talked about here. Because we're a team. That's the idea. Um, so this team, they brought this guy to Jesus. And they break through the roof. Now imagine the distraction, right? If you've ever done any public speaking, uh, it's, it's a scary thing. I've talked to people about this before. That you know, Over and over when they do studies, there are three main fears that people have. Uh, and number one public speaking. Number two is death. That means most people would rather die than speak in public. Right? Um, I think the third is like sharks or something. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. So it's, it's nerve-wracking enough. So nobody wants to be distracted when they're speaking in public. But imagine, you know, you're up here talking and then someone knocks a hole in the ceiling and they start lowering a guy down on a pallet. Right? That would be a little bit distracting. I always felt bad for uh, um, last year, RJ, uh, on Wednesdays, we, uh, we had some you know, younger guys start preaching this year. And RJ's first sermon, there was a bat that got in the room and was flying around and like swooping down at people and swooping down at him. And he held it together. And you know, if we'd been smart, we would have launched our building campaign that day, because everybody, everyone would have been like, we need to get out of here. <laughs> anyway, so they lower him down through the roof, and you imagine, you know, Mrs. Peters and his mother-in-law are both probably annoyed already, right, that the, they've got all these unannounced, uninvited house guests, and, and, uh, and now there's a hole in my roof. And it's interesting, you know, Matthew gives an account of this incident in Matthew 9, I think, but he does not mention uh, the part about the roof being torn up. Now, Mark does in detail, because uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Mark is basically, um, his gospel is basically Peter's, Peter's account, right? He's telling Mark the things that he remembers. And Peter, for sure, remembers that they tore a hole in my roof. Now, Luke mentions it too, but Luke mentions all kinds of details. But Peter remembered this because sometimes in ministry is costly. 
I wonder what Peter thought about the repair bill he has. This is all over. Right? His groceries are probably wiped out from trying to feed the crowd. And sometimes when Jesus is part of your life, there's a cost involved. But I bet in the end, after what happens next, he was like, you know, it was worth it. That bill was worth it. Now we keep talking about this campaign. What we're talking about is building a, a new worship space out of our other campus out, outside of town, and it will be costly, and it will involve commitment from a lot of people, but we believe it's worth it. Verse 5, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw whose faith? No, not the paralytic. It's the friend. He saw their faith. Now, some people, faith healers and, and, and the like, will say, you know, well, if you weren't healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith. And I'm like, hmm. It doesn't seem that way in the scripture. Sometimes people were healed uh, because of the faith of other people. Sometimes Jesus healed people just because that's who Jesus is. Definitely, you know, if you've ever prayed for healing and, and it didn't work out the way you thought it was, uh, it would. I'd be tired and tell you it's not because you didn't have enough faith. That's not how God is. Maybe it's your faith. Maybe it's the faith of those around you. Maybe, you know, sometimes Jesus just heals even when there's no faith involved. But sometimes, like this man, sometimes people are lame. And they need the faith of others to get them through. Turn to the person beside you and say, I'm lame. <laughs> Half of you went, you're lame. I like that. Yeah. Nice. Hey, listen to the instruction. All right. Look, I, I know I, at times, maybe more often than not, am lame. I need three or four people in my life who have faith to help me through the times when I don't. To pray when I don't feel like praying. We need someone to come alongside us and get us through these dark times. Now we, we throw these three words around here all the time. Engage, assist, encourage. You see it on stuff as print and um, teachers and all that stuff. That's you know, just kind of our philosophy on ministry that what, what we're talking about is, you know, we engage in the lives of our community. That, that your faith shouldn't just be in these walls. It, it, it happens it's functioning outside of these walls. You engage in the lives of your friends and your family and, and you be Jesus for someone. And equip, right, it is to come hear the word of Jesus. We believe this is the best place to come learn about Jesus. Now, you should learn it. You should be learning on your own at home. You should be learning... You know, all the time, but that's what church, one of the main functions is for, is you come here to learn more about Jesus. And then you encourage others to do the same, to get engaged in other people's lives and to equip them to know more about Jesus and to do ministry. Encourage your brothers and sisters when they're feeling lame, to encourage them to come to Jesus, to get up. Thank you.
encourage saved people to serve people because that is what should happen. Saved people serve people. Now James, uh, which incidentally is the book we're going to be start studying on Wednesday in February, February 7th, James says that faith without works is dead. And people misinterpret that a bunch of different ways. But all he's really saying is that faith that isn't doing anything is not functioning properly. It's not being engaged. It's not being used for what it's for. To bring life. And so Jesus, he responds to the faith of the men who brought him. The people who put feet to their faith. And I wonder if they were disappointed when he, you know, they went through all this trouble to bring their, their lame friend to him. And he looks at him and goes, his sins are forgiven. And they're like, what? We want him to, like, walk and stuff, you know? But forgiveness was his deepest need. Verse 6, it says, and, it, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Now remember, it's standing room only. Right? People are trying to like lean in the door to try to, to hear from Jesus. And there are people, these scribes are in the house sitting down, unwilling to give up their seats. Now, like I said, I, I feel like our church is the best place in this community to come and learn about Jesus. Because it was by no means a perfect church. I've seen it with my own eyes from this stage during songs where I've looked out and seen people walk in those doors. And on this service, you don't see it as much. And our second service is jam-packed. I've seen them walk in those doors, and everyone's standing, so they can't see if there are any empty seats. And they stand there for a while, and no one gives up their seats, and they walk, turn around and walk out the door. And I don't say that to, to shame you. I'm just saying... We need to be willing right, to change the situation. But that means to inconvenience myself so that someone else can learn about Jesus. That cost is worth it. Verse 7. Now remember, these guys, they're sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Verse 7. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I can't forgive you for what you, you know, if you walked up and punched Roger in the mouth, I could say, you're forgiven, but you're, you know, it's not in my power to do that because you didn't do it against me. I'm not suggesting anybody does that, but, you know. Uh, but I could say it, but it doesn't apply because it wasn't against me. Even if someone has sinned against me, I can forgive you. But if it's sin, right, sin is an archery, mark, uh, archery term for missing the mark. If you've missed the mark, that means you've also sinned against God. And ultimately, He, he alone can give true forgiveness. And so they're, they're saying, this is blasphemy. He can forgive sin to God alone. Verse 8, but immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they were, uh, that they reasoned thus within themselves. They didn't say this stuff out loud. They're thinking it. And Jesus turns to them, and He knows what's in their heart. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's going on in your life better than you do. Probably. And He said to them, "Why do you reason about these things in your heart?" 
Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. They made room to bring a man to Jesus. He came in one way and left completely different. He did it for me, and he's done it for many of you. We were one way, and that's easy to move. Then when he went out again by the sea, he went out by, again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he talked. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And so he arose and followed him. Now Mark and Luke call him Levi. But Matthew's gospel gives us another name. Matthew. This is Matthew. Jesus gave Levi uh, from the tribe of priests. He's, he's a preacher's kid, basically. You've got to watch out for them. He gives him a new name. This is, this is Matthew. Jesus, he likes to give new names. He likes to change things. 
to Simon. He says, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of a blockhead and a little stone, a chip off your old block, you're going to be Peter. Little stone. Uh, James and John were the sons of Zebedee, uh, and then he calls them the sons of thunder. He calls Levi, he calls them Matthew. The gift of God. And Matthew, or Levi, he was the tax collector who hated. The Jews viewed him as a traitor. But Jesus saw the potential of changing his crook into a gift to others. Jesus can make you a gift to others. Jesus says, I can do through you what no one else can do. So ask yourself, God, what do you want to do through you? Now, he was a tax collector, and the way taxes were, you know, tax collectors were never popular in any culture, but the way they were collected back then, uh, it was by a system called tax farming. Uh, basically, Rome would give the ability to collect taxes to the highest bidder. Basically, Rome would say, for this province, we need whatever, $10,000, they call it that. Uh, however you go about getting that is up to you, and who, who wants to bid on this job. And anything that you could collect over that amount is yours to keep. The tax collectors, they were, kind of, they were considered crooks, they were considered unclean, uh, they weren't welcome in the synagogue. You know, I'm not a fan of our tax system, uh, but listen to this. They had a poll tax, that was if you were a male over age 14 or a female over age 12, to, to like 65, um, you had a tax for just being alive. Uh, then there was an income tax of like 10%. There was a ground tax of one-tenth of all your grain and one-fifth of all your wine. There were harbor taxes and road taxes and fish taxes. It's the fish taxes they tax for each individual fish as well as how many nets this fish that you collected. There were cart taxes. And, uh, it, the more wheels your cart had, the more taxes you paid. And the list goes on. And Matthew is getting a cut of all that. So he's hated by the Jews, but he's doing pretty well. In all likelihood, he had more material goods to lose than really any of Jesus' followers. He left everything and he followed. In verse 15, it says, Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. Now, some time ago, uh, someone came to me bothered to talk to me instead of some things. You know, when I look around our church, it seems like there are more lost people than saved. Oh, that's the complaint. That's the problem. Yeah. That's kind of what we're after. Verse 16, it says, When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
But the Kinderville has a population of just north of 10,000 people. And a little over 7,000 of them do not have a church, are not currently attending church. We want to be their church. We want to look out and see that you, by faith, brought your friend who is paralyzed by sin to hear the words of Jesus. We can sit here comfortably, or we can, the sad thing about it, we can tear off the roof and alter our situation. Those four people, those four guys, they dared to do something different. They didn't just pray about it. They took speech to their faith. You know, Paul says in Romans 10, he says, how will they believe if they haven't? He used to have that on a sign in the sound booth just to remind the guys how important it is. We'll wrap it up with this. Listen, if your home is struggling, bring it to Jesus. If you're in a dark place, bring it to Jesus. Alter your situation by bringing your situation to the altar. Thank you that we know that no matter how crowded it is, that we can we can draw near to you and you draw near to us. And we thank you that you're still changing lives and changing hearts. We pray this morning that all of us that have that gotten distracted, that we become lame in our faith, Lord, that you would bring people alongside us to draw us back to you. That their faith would help increase our faith. I would say that we bless this endeavor we're on as a church. I would also pray that you bless us to, to be the type of people that will go to whatever length is needed to bring others. That we have that kind of Lord, if anybody here listening online or in person doesn't have a relationship with you, that we would say you open their eyes, that they would see that you have done all the work, that they trust you for eternal life, you give it. Simple as that. So we pray for your blessing on your people, on this church, on this nation. We pray this.